Turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 11. So am I too loud? Am I getting too much? Yeah, I think so. A little feedback. It's uh, from time to time, the reading of the word, it's so well suited with the, with the message. It's, it's the Lord the way he designed it. Uh, Psalm 68 was speaking some of the things we're going to be covering in our topic, in our uh, message today. Uh, the Chinese general, Sun Tzu, who lived roughly in the 5th century B.C., wrote a book called The Art of Warfare. This book for centuries was considered one of the classic books on military strategy. In the book, he wrote a, this well-known statement, every battle is won before it is ever fought. Every battle is won before it is ever fought. In it, he talks about tactics for ensuring ample resources, having a thoughtful plan of attack, and rewarding those who excel in battle, among other things. Now, can you imagine a battle-weary soldier hearing that he has all the resources that are needed in order to accomplish the task, in order to win the victory? Can you imagine the confidence and the hope this would stir within him to fight on, to press on in battle, knowing that he will be fully rewarded at the end. In the same way, John is writing to saints who are in the battle to encourage them to fight on with confidence and hope, knowing that their victory and reward are certain. So at different points in their narrative, the Holy Spirit guides John to give us a glimpse of our final victory and eternal rewards. He did this after the hope between the sixth and the seventh seal. Remember the sixth seal, the Lord Jesus is coming on the cloud. The unbelievers, ungodly, are running into the caves and, and mountains asking for them to cover them. And so judgment, and then immediately after that, we get a glimpse of glory. The redeemed in the presence of God, beholding his, his, his face and enjoying fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. That was in Revelation chapter 7. Here again in chapter 11, after the blowing of the seventh trumpet, uh, we have the praise of heaven in anticipation of the final victory of Christ over the nations and the reward of the saints. It's kind of like seeing a trailer of a movie, you know, with an effort to want you to want to go and see that movie. Well, brethren, we know the outcome. Satan was defeated at the cross. Sin and death were conquered at the resurrection of Christ. The battle has already been won. It is only a matter of time when Christ will return to claim what is rightfully his. So let us fight on knowing that our victory and our rewards are certain. Look with me at chapter 11, verse 15. Chapter 11, verse 15. 
Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Let's ask the Lord's help. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who art high and lifted up, exalted above the nations, above the heavens, eternal, seated on your throne, we bow before your majesty and glory this day and recognize, Lord, that what a privilege it is to be part of your army, to be part of your people, Lord, to know that our victory is certain. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to see your glory today. Lift our eyes towards heaven. Keep our eyes upon the prize. Keep us, Lord, focused in the midst of all the affairs of this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When the seventh trumpet is sounded, we would have expected the seven bowls of wrath to be poured out. But just like the uh, immediate uh, judgment, uh, the, when the seventh seal was sounded in 8-1, the immediate judgment didn't exactly follow right then, but it actually till chapter 9 when we saw the, the judgment of the of the, uh, the blowing of the trumpets begin. In the same way, we actually won't see the judgment of the bowls of wrath till chapter 15. So instead of the bowls of wrath, we have praise and worship in heaven in anticipation of God's final judgment. This is another interlude in the judgment narrative, which begins here in 1115 and then all the way to chapter 15. In chapters 12 and 13, we will see who's behind the earthly forces who are trying to thwart the, the purposes of God here on earth. There's, we're going to learn about the, we're going to learn about the uh, dragon, the, the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, and all those things, the 666 and all those things. So don't miss out. And in chapter 14, we will get another glimpse of our final victory in Christ returning on the cloud of glory to judge the nations. So there's a lot of repetition in the book of Revelation. It's the way it is. And God wants to encourage us in these things. So we should never tire of seeing God showing us what will happen, what will come, what will be the end. It's glorious. And so we should rejoice in that because we need the repetition. We're in this world, and all we see is the three dimensions around us. There's a fourth dimension. and we, That's where the Lord wants to get our eyes beyond the here and now and see what else is coming. So that's what we're going to be doing today, and what we'll do again in chapter 14, and again in chapter 19, and so on. Now, in keeping with the word of the mighty angel in chapter 10, verse 6 and 7, that once the trumpet is sounded, the seventh trumpet is sounded, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. Here we see right after the blowing of the seventh trumpet, the host of heaven, along with the redeemed, are declaring the final triumph of God, as if though it's already taken place. The final judgment hasn't happened yet, but they're foreseeing, they're looking beyond that, as if though it's just a matter of time. And... So this series of, of announcements of imminent coming of God's judgment and redemption uh, are mentioned at least six times in the book of Revelation. We will see in chapter 12 and 14, 18 and 19. 
The imminent victory is put in the aorist indicative. It says, has become the kingdoms of our Lord, which indicates the absolute certainty that it will take place. It's like making a, a statement of fact, uh, uh, declaring something that is factual. There's no question about this. The sky is gray. Who's, gonna, who's going to argue with that? Just look outside. There it is. It's gonna, it is, it is uh, just that. The same way the, the angels are proclaiming as if this is a certainty. Now, of course, someone may argue and say, well, isn't God reigning now? Why are we saying that he is going to reign over the kingdoms of the earth in the future? Well, of course, God is always reigning sovereignly over the kingdoms of this world, because if you look at Revelation 5, it says that Christ, who is the ruler of the kings of the earth, that's Revelation 1.5. So he's ruling over the kings of the earth, but his rule is not manifested currently. We don't see the kings of the earth in submission to King Jesus. They're not bowing the knee. They're not professing his name. They're not owning him as Lord and King. To them, he's, he's actually a, a competitor of theirs. They want to see him removed off the throne. They're raging, as we will see in, Re, in, Revela, in um, Psalm 2. They're raging against the Lord and his anointed. Now, remember, this is a vision. And this is looking at the future events, seeing it in real time. So it's looking at it as if it's happening in real time now. Uh, and that is why he says he will reign, making it a future tense. He will reign. What this is saying is that God's eternal rule in heaven will be exercised over the nations here on earth. And as we pray that your kingdom, just like we sung, that your kingdom, as we say this in the Lord's Prayer, that your kingdom, your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done on in earth as it is in heaven. Uh, this is a fulfillment of the Daniel's prophecy, Daniel 2.44, 7.13, and 14, and so on. 2.44 says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to, the, to another people. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Verse 27, he says, Jan, Daniel 7, 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. These are some of the, there's also Psalm 2 and so on. But what we find at, at present, brothers and sisters, is that what we find is that who is ruling the kingdoms of the earth now? Who is the ruler of this world, as Jesus put it in John 12? Satan. John in 1 John 5.19 says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Remember when Satan was tempting Jesus and he says, you bow before me and I'll give you all these kingdoms for you. Meaning that he's, in, he's the one who is in control and in charge of them. But there's a day, brethren, coming when God's kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Let me just make one point of application here. Here's another reason to gather with the saints on Sunday and during the week. Because if you look at the news, the scenes of war and bloodshed and injustice and persecution here, there is no cause for joy or singing, is there? No, it is a cause for grief and sorrow. It is here, brethren, that we get to learn about the triumphs of God's righteous kingdom and our glorious future and gives us a reason for worship and singing with joy. It is here that we can see past what's happening on the news and have a reason to rejoice and to bless God. We can sing with confidence the victory has been won by Christ on the cross. He has conquered sin, death, and Satan. It is only a matter of time when he returns and he puts an end to all of these enemies of ours. So, like the angels in heaven, we too can sing for joy. Why do we say joy to the world? How can we say that in the face of all this atrocities that are going on in all different parts of the world today? How can we say that? Because it's true. Because it's true. God has sent his son into the world to save sinners. And there is a world beyond this world that's coming. And therefore, we can rejoice as we look forward to that world. Daniel 7, 14 says, And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So we could say hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now, Although the Son will be subjected to the Father once everything has been put under His feet, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, He will nevertheless share in the eternal rule of God, as we read here, and He, singular, He, singular, shall reign forever and ever. So God the Father, God the Son, sharing in the rule and the reign, the eternal rule, rule and reign. Now, upon this declaration of the angels, the 24 elders fall down on their faces and worship. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. And the 24 elders who sit on, the, on their throne before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and began, begun to reign. Uh, now, we had seen these elders back in chapter 4 and 5 bowing down in worship and giving glory to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb when Christ received the, the, uh, the scroll with the seals and uh, these 24 elders bowed down before Him and worshiped Him. And, uh, and now we see them again rising off their throne and falling on their faces before God to worship. We'll see this again later in 19.4 when Babylon the Great is judged. Now in anticipation of the great victory, the elders give thanks to God for uh, the mighty power by which he conquered. 
to establish his eternal reign. Think about it, brethren, is that all these kingdoms and these nations and, uh, are building up their, their military might and power. And they're just kind of outdoing each other with who's going to come up with the latest, fanciest weapon, you know, cyber to, to uh, veer off any, any kind of uh, opposition, whether it's cyber attacks or what have you. And there's always new technology coming on the scene. And God and his mighty power is going to come and subdue them all. Amen. That is amazing. And that's what they're praising God. Lord, you have come with your mighty power and established your rule and your kingdom. And remember, it's that rock, that stone that Daniel saw in a vision that's going to crush all the other nations, all the other kingdoms. So they're praising God for he is the almighty God almighty, the great I am, the eternal self-existent one, the one who is and was. But notice it doesn't say the one who is to come. Why? Because they're seeing this as if he has already come. He's, it's no longer seen as a future event. He has already come and begun his reign. They do the same thing in 16.5. Now, if you have the King James or the New King James, they add the, uh, and who is to come. But it, the Textus Receptus has it in there, but all the other, all the other uh, translations don't have it in there. Uh, so just so you're aware. Uh, which makes sense, because they're praising God for he's already, Christ is already here, so why should they say when he is to come still? Then we, then tell us, they tell us what he will do upon his coming. Look with me at verse 18. 11, 18. The, the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints. And those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So we see four things that he's going to do. It says, one, he will subdue the raging of the nations. Two, he will judge the living and the dead. Three, he will reward the saints. And four, he will destroy the destroyers of the earth. In the first place, we, he will subdue the raging of the nations. Turn with me to Psalm 2 for a minute. We're going to look at a couple of verses there. Psalm 2. And we read in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Verse 1. And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his, against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. Brethren, it is truly in vain that the kings of the nations ally themselves and rage and plot against the Lord and his anointed. They are foolishly thinking that they're going to use their weapons against God. What does he think of this? It tells us, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision, meaning he's going to mock them. He's, he's going to sit there and laugh and say, 
what ignorant fools you folks are. You think that he's, he's not moved by, by their plotting. All he has to do is summon few of his angels and they will wipe away entire nations. One angel wiped out 186,000 of the Assyrian army. One angel in the camp. The next day they were all dead. And he has myriads and myriads of angels. What foolishness to think that man whose breath is in his nostrils and whom the Lord holds think that they could fight against God and against his anointed. But this is the folly that Satan makes people believe that somehow, some way, they could fight against God. Now, friend, if you are sitting here and have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're like one of those nations who are in rebellion against God. You are fighting a losing battle. Bow the knee to him today, just like he says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. Because he's coming a day when his wrath will be kindled. And as Pastor Joe prayed, it's not going to be a day of mercy at that point. It's too late. Today is a day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and escape the judgment to come. He's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Even as it tells us, some would say, well, you know, I'll die and that's it. And somehow that's going to protect you from the judgment. But listen to what it says, what it tells us. It tells us that, in the, sec that the second thing that he will do is that he will judge the dead. Did you notice that? Did you notice that back in 11, 18? He says, the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. So death is no object to him. Remember, God made man from the dust of the earth. What is that to him to raise him up from the dust of the earth? And so it's, it's really no, no, uh, no object, no problem for God. There's a day in which Christ is coming. It says all that are in the grave will hear his voice. He's going to give them ears to hear so that they will hear and rise up and stand before him in judgment. So death is, no, uh, is not going to keep you from judgment. It is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. Satan has deluded many to thinking that death is the end of them. But he's a liar. He's a liar. They fail to realize that the God who made us can, can give us life and raise us up. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 25, Matthew 25, and we're going to see there this judgment that will be taking place at the time of Christ's return. I'm going to look at verse 31, and it says the following, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on, the right, on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit 
inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And verse 41 tells us what he will say to the ones on his left. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you curse into the eternal file prepared for the devil and his angels. Excuse me. This is what is awaiting those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no escape. All the nations will be gathered before him. All the nations, whether they lived hundreds or a thousand years before, they will be gathered before him in that final day. They will face his wrath. And hear these words, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So, whatever you believe, if you're not taking this into account, you are deceived. You need to see that judgment is coming. God's word cannot go unfulfilled. He cannot lie. Satan lies. God cannot lie. And this is what he said. All the nations will be gathered before him. So I pray that you would today bow the knee and receive him as Lord and Savior so you would be among those who hear and come and inherit the kingdom that is prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. A third thing he will do is reward his saints. And it says back in verse 18, And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. Now these rewards, brethren, are not to be confused with the gift of salvation, which is by grace alone. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. These rewards are based on our faithful obedience to Christ that is motivated by love and devotion to Him. Now, some may say, well, I don't care about receiving any rewards. I'm just happy to be in heaven. Well, be careful with that attitude. The Lord has given you talents and gifts to use for His glory. He's going to be asking for those. What have you done with them? Remember the, the talent, the parable of the talents? The man with the one talent, he went and hid his talent and he says, I'm just going to give it back to him the way he gave it back to me. I don't want to lose it. He says, you could have at least invested it and brought some return. And so no one of us can say, ah, I'm just a simple Christian. We'll let others do the work. And no, God's going to hold you accountable. How are you using your gift for the glory of God? When you were in sin, when you were living in sin, you gave yourself wholeheartedly to that. Why aren't you doing the same unto the Lord? Christ has called you to be in His army, to fight the good fight of faith, to live out for the glory of God. So we must continually strive to know Him more and more and to be conformed into His image. Don't settle for anything less than fervent love for Christ and complete submission to His, to his will in your life and conformity to His image. Brethren, let's, let's get the idea, the notion that we can just coast. Well, now I'm in Christ, I'm safe. There is no safe ground until you're in heaven, bro. You need to fight on. Fight the good fight. Fight against sin. Seek to expand the kingdom. Do everything within your power and my power to live for the glory of God today. Because Jesus is worthy. He's worthy, brethren. If you want that reward, you need to, 
to earn, not, I don't mean to earn it in the sense that we cannot earn salvation. Now hear me out. I'm not telling you to earn salvation. But I'm telling you there are rewards that Christ is going to divide amongst those who have committed their lives in service to their king in love and devotion and honoring him. Now, notice also the rewards will be how they will be awarded. It says to, the, to whom they will be awarded, the prophets, the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. It's beautiful, brethren. This covers everyone. There's it, it, uh, both small and great, regardless of social or economic classes, all will be rewarded among God's people. Uh, now, this will particularly encourage the hearts of the saints who were suffering at the time because they're put right into next to the prophets, prophets and the saints, because later he's going to tell them what's going to happen to the saints in chapter 13 and 17 is they're, they're going to be put to death. They're going to be martyred. And so here he's encouraging their hearts, just like Jesus says, blessed are you who are being persecuted for my namesake because great will be re your reward will be as great as that of prophets. So they have done to the prophets that have gone before you. The fourth thing he will do when he comes is he will destroy the destroyers of the earth. Now, who are the destroyers of the earth? Of course, by the earth, he doesn't mean the physical inhabitants, uh, the physical, uh, physical world, you know, the earth itself. Uh, but he's speaking about the people, the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, because, because sometimes it says the kings of the earth. Well, the kings, they're not ruling over physical ground. They're ruling over people. So that's what he's referring to. In John's day, who, so who are these destroyers? In John's day, it would have been the Roman Empire. And in our day, all the nations that are in opposition against God and his Christ. Those who unjustly destroy other nations or people groups. Secondly, those who seek to destroy his church by persecuting his people, he will destroy, uh, destroy them upon his coming. And we read that in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 6 to 9. It says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer with the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. So those who persecute God's people today, and they do it with impunity, well, there's a day coming when Christ will, will in flaming fire will come and he will bring vengeance and judgment upon them. Thirdly, those who destroy the lives of babies in the womb, God will destroy unless they repent. They are in direct opposition to his will. They are shedding innocent blood. They have the blood, on, they have the blood of these children upon their hands, for which they must give an account too. May God have mercy on our state governor and legislator who are trying to pass a bill that, that pro proposes to kill children all the way to birth. May the Lord have mercy upon them. Because that day is going to be a 
fearsome day for them. Thirdly, those who, fourthly, the word also can be translated as the, to corrupt. Those who destroy, the word can be also to corrupt and to bring about decay, whether morally or spiritually. A similar word is used of the great harlot, Babylon, in 19.2, in chapter 19, verse 2. It says, who has corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality. So those who lead others astray morally and spiritually will be destroyed. By that, through education, be that through the education system or the media that seeks to corrupt young children's minds with wrong views of sexuality or put out content to corrupt even adult minds and destroy lives and families, they will be destroyed. Nowadays, you can hardly go on the web without seeing these, these things that are trying to pull your attention. It's like a, a black hole that just try to pull you in. All you need to do is click. Oh, no, I can't believe it. Look, no, this is Satan. These are the destroyers of the earth whom the Lord will destroy at his coming. So they can do it now and they can get away with it, but they're not going to get away with it for long. Finally, Peter and Jude apply this word to false teachers. 2 Peter 2.12 and Jude 10. It says, who lead others astray, they will be destroyed. And their destruction will be severe. So brethren, today destroyers seem to get away with murder. They, they do things with impunity. They live above the law. They lie, they cheat, they murder just to promote themselves, their products and their party. But know this, the day of reckoning is coming when they will stand before the judge of all the earth and give an account. And if anyone is listening to my voice who falls into this category, I pray that today you would repent because that day of wrath is furious. You are not going to be able to stand before the furious Lord Jesus Christ. We end this scene of praise and worship from heaven with God's terrifying power and majesty being revealed from heaven. Look with me at verse 19. Verse 19, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, or earth, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This scene is both terrifying to the enemies of God, but joyful to believers. Joyful both things. It is a welcome sight to believers because it's a reminder of the veil of the temple. Remember when, when Jesus says, it is finished, the veil of that temple split and the Holy of Holies was revealed. So now we have access into the very presence of God. So when the, when the, when the heavens open up and the throne of God is revealed and the temple and the Ark of the Covenant is revealed, God is showing that he again welcomes believers. That's what we see. But of course, this is accompanied by other signs, as we will see. Uh, the Ark was kept in the Holy of Holies and only the high priest was allowed to enter one day of, on the Day of Atonement once a year. It represented God's abiding presence with his people his Shekinah glory and mercy to his covenant people. This scene shows that God will continue to dwell with us 
in covenant faithfulness and will destroy the enemies of the people, of his people. Now, this is the first mention of the ark being in heaven. Uh, and just like Jonah, Noah's ark, it's interesting, Pastor Joe preached on, on the ark last Sunday, I think it was. Uh, just like Noah's ark, there is a fascination with finding the ark of the covenant. Uh, even Hollywood made a movie about it, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Back in the 80s. Pastor Joe, you could have used this plot in your... In your uh, <laughs> I beat you to it. Uh, so the idea is you got, so uh, there's a race to find the ark because uh, the, the movie is set around 1936, 37. And so the Germans, uh, Hitler thought if he gets the ark, he, his army will be invincible. So the Americans are trying to race to find the ark to keep the Germans from getting it. I just blew it for you. Um, so, so where's the ark now? Well, since Pastor Joe, he insisted that it's in heaven, I'm going to have to tell you where it might be. There are many speculations. Uh, some believe it was destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar burned the temple, 2 Kings 25, 8, and it is somewhere buried under the temple mount. Most scholars believe that it was not in the second temple or Herod's temple, uh, for that matter. Another view is in the book of 2 Maccabees, this is a non-canonical book, records a legend that Jeremiah took the ark with the tent of meeting and the incense altar and hid it in a cave on Mount Nebo. And it was, uh, it was to, uh, to remain hidden until God gathers his people together and shows them mercy, which would take place at the coming of the Messiah. A third, a third uh, speculation is that... Uh, an Ethiopian king who was the descendant of Queen Sheba stole the ark before the Babylonians destroyed the temple, and it is in Ethiopia and the church of Our Lady Mary of Zion can only be seen by the guardian. While others say that this is a replica of the ark because when Moses was given instructions to build the tabernacle, he was shown a physical pattern of, their, uh, of it on the mountain. In, he, in Hebrews, we read it was a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Well, whichever your view, whichever view you hold, the point is still the same. It represents God's abiding presence with his people. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, but besides the Ark of the Covenant, what else is, is there that we see there? God's terrifying power and majesty is revealed. His throne room is revealed, which means that he's now sitting on the throne of judgment. Remember, we see this again. We're going to see it in Revelation 20, verse 10, 11. The, the white throne of God and God seated on his throne. So when the heavens peeled open and the throne room of God is open, says he's ready for judgment. And the accompanying sign, flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail which are signs of God's awesome presence, a, a theophany. Just like, remember, when he came down on Mount Sinai, the same thing. Flashes of lightning, uh, rumblings, peals of thunder, and so on. Everything shook. Uh, 
We saw similar signs when the Lamb opened the seventh seal in, in 8.5 when the angel filled the censer of fire, with fire from the altar and he threw it on the earth, which was followed by seven trumpets of warning and judgments. Similar things, we saw these same signs, hails and hail and heavy hail, peals of thunder and so forth. We'll also we'll see it again, these signs in, after the seventh bowl in chapter 16 and verse 18. So, that's the exposition of the passage. Let's now look at some application. In the first place, know that our victory is certain even though it doesn't seem like it now. When we look at the world scene today, brethren, it seems like there are two equal powers. You know, evil and good and evil. God and Satan. And sometimes God wins, and sometimes Satan wins. And right now, Satan has the upper hand. He's ruling, so it seems. And that's what we see currently. Because after all, look how he's controlling the media, the government, and academic institutions, and he's using these institutions to persecute God's people. Brethren, we must remember that Christ has already won the victory against Satan. Satan has been soundly defeated and mortally wounded. He is raging like a wounded animal because he knows that his days are numbered. There is coming a day when he will be cast into the lake of fire, as we read in Revelation 20.10. And the devil who had deceived them, deceived the nations, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Keep that before you. Yes, it seems like Satan is winning the day. He's ruling and reigning. But his days are numbered. He's gonna, it's short-lived. His glory is going to be short-lived because one day he's going to be bound and cast into the lake of fire. You can rest assured. Which leads us to our second point. Seeing that Satan is active in the world today ought not to cause us to shrink back and retreat from advancing the kingdom of God. Remembering that our Savior is sitting on his throne now and advancing his kingdom. It's never been easy, brethren. If we think that there's going to be a time when there's not going to be an opposition to the gospel and then we'll be more vocal, forget it. That's not happening. It's only going to get worse. It was never easy in the beginning, and it's not easy now. It's not going to get any easier later. But Jesus is ruling, and he says, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we're not going to sit back and shrink back because the world is under the sway of Satan. King Jesus is still on his throne. So we must press forward with the commission. And the commission doesn't, doesn't have an end date. The end date is when he shall return. He says, I will be with you till when? Till the end of time. Therefore, go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And behold, and lo, I am with you, even unto the end of time. So don't let the, the fact that Satan is ruling and reigning in the hearts of men, in the kingdoms of men, in the high places in, uh, of authority in the earth, don't let that stop us from our commission. That doesn't change anything. Christ is on his throne and he's advancing his kingdom. 
So a third and final point is this. Um, I want to exhort you, brethren, press on in faith. Our redemption is nearer now than when we first believed. We're getting closer. Whether you're as old as me and you're getting close just because you're running out of time or whether Christ is coming back soon. Either way, our redemption is closer than when we first believed. So don't be discouraged or shaken because of the evil that is in the world today and the temptation that you are facing. Brethren, there are more temptations today than when back in the day before the internet. Everything built, you, you cannot live without these devices in your pocket and, you know, computers. You have to, that, that's part of our days. But, so it makes temptation even harder. And the ungodliness, you know, it says that Lawlessness shall abound, and the love of many will grow cold. So ungodliness is abounding. So don't let that discourage you. We have all the resources to win this battle. Our righteous king has fought and won it. Remember I gave that illustration in the beginning, with that, that statement that says that battle is, is won before it's even fought? Because why? Because all the resources were there to make sure that this battle would be won. Well, all the resources are here for us to win the battle against sin. The battle for your sanctification belongs to the Lord. With His strength, you can overcome every foe. So fight on in the strength of the Lord. Our salvation is nearer today than when we first believed. It is only a matter of time before the Lord will descend on the cloud of glory and take us to himself. Paul uses the, the knowledge of Christ returning soon to exhort the believers in Rome to put off the works of darkness and to press on in the pursuit of godliness and sanctification. And I would, I would add to that, not to neglect the assembling together of yourself with the saints. We fight this battle together. You, this, you're, there's no Lone Ranger Christians out there. You think you can be a Christian apart from the body? You're, you're mistaken. The warfare is too great. You need the support of the brethren. You need the encouragement from God's word. You need the prayers of the saints. You need the accountability. You can't make it alone. So, brother, sister, press on in the faith and don't be negligent. Remembering, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the, the devil, is roaring like uh, is going about like a roaring lion going seeking whom he may devour it says resist him in the faith knowing the same trials are being faced by your brethren in the world and so we need one another to fight this gift and let us continue by the grace of God to overcome knowing that he has overcome already the battle is of the Lord amen Leading us in prayer, Brother Bob. Uh, after Brother Bob uh, leads us in a prayer of confession, please take two or three minutes to prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper, and then I'll give some instructions at that point.